Welcome back to the Two Top Podcast, everyone. Due to recent circumstances, we are all stuck at home following social distancing laws due to COVID-19. Now, because of that, that gives us the opportunity to record at home. So we do apologize for the audio quality. It's not up to the usual Two Top standards, but we are doing the best we can. So please come and listen to this episode of Two Top and A. Maybe you'll just learn a thing or two. Enjoy. All right, welcome back to the Two Top Podcast, another quarantine edition. Uh, this time we have our my lovely friend here, Rachel. Uh, she she is uh, from architecture school. We have had class together for four years now. <laughs> we weren't in the same classes always, but we have been in the proximity of one another this whole time. So. R- Rachel, what topic what topic do you have for discussion today? <laughs> well, as we just graduated Zoom University, I thought it would be a good idea to look at dorms and how they've kind of changed over the years and impacted the way we kind of see college in America. That's pretty solid. I mean, even on Temple campus, you can clearly see high-end and low-end dorms, so and they come with age. Oh, yeah. It's it's really kind of interesting how it's now like a rite of passage for us when no one else really kind of sees it as that. So it's why did it become this kind of a thing? It's almost it's almost like a social class based on what dorm you went in in freshman year. It kind of like said, oh, you went because it, I mean, there's obviously a price associated with it, but. Yeah, 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 yeah. Surprisingly, it's like that throughout its history. So should I begin? Absolutely. Where do we start? Uh, let's start with, uh, how about the Americans' idea that college is kind of what Oxford and Cambridge was, where it was this high-end kind of white men doing what white men do in that time period, and no one else can go to it. And then kind of state universities started popping up around the area, and they were like, no, we are going to do it for the for the working-class people. And so... Harvard and William & Mary were the first two big colleges, and Harvard actually had a college in in 1650 that only housed 20 indigenous people, and they wanted to separate them from the whites. Nice. Good start. Good start, Harvard. Really, like, setting the bar real high. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Great. Wonderful where dorms came from. Um, So, yeah. So, they were created differently. They kind of, like, worked to create this hierarchy, even though they were trying to not, trying to separate this hierarchy by including different races. But in the end, it kind of all just kind of was racially insensitive. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm to be honest, I'm not that surprised. Hi, <laughs> especially Harvard. Um, eventually, where am I? Uh, religion was another huge right. part in it. Uh, they wanted to create white men who were very religious, and they did that by housing principals and teachers in the same buildings as the white men in order to kind of create role models. Well, it's like an R. It's like an RA. It's like living with one of our studio professors. Some some would be better than others. That's for sure. (laughs) A couple, but um, yeah, it was it was really kind of interesting. And in 1756, Rutgers kind of created this dorm system where they surrounded it by farmland in order to get people away from their homes, and um kind of create this separation so that they become and i quote useful citizens wow rutgers really you know really 
man, all these universities are really doing a good job when it comes to the beginning of dorms. They're really, really selling the concept to me. <laughs> I know, and it's kind of hysterical how now it's like, we're so diverse, come live with us. Like, it's kind of gone a complete 180. Because I feel like over dorms are kind of there you're not expected to live in the dorms your whole college career i feel some of us are so we go to a state school so it's a little bit or a city school so it's a little bit easier for us um to get kind of off-campus housing but those like like harvard and william mary which are in the middle of nowhere you're gonna live either in a frat which is another problem upcoming or a dorm like you have no other options yeah and I can imagine in some places that they'd almost overlap the chaos in it. I mean, what's the difference between a dorm and a frat house? Just one has an RA to kind of keep you in check and the other one's just lawless chaos. Well, frat houses, this is the next thing, good segment. But uh, frat houses were kind of these these up and coming houses around the place that, get, that privileged white men built so that they could have better living conditions than the other people and feel better than them. <laughs> <laughs> so frat her frat houses were created so that rich people could live in places nicer than the dorms huh <laughs> kind of opposite <laughs> crazy how that works <laughs> my gosh just it, everything was bad about it um campuses kind of saw these places as like immoral kind of not great areas the the spread oh frat yeah that's house. about right and so finally like all right let's make dorms and let's try to make them community spaces and let's try to get people into these things so that everyone can feel equal didn't go that well <laughs> once again um they, they as obvious even today they separated men and women but women's dorms were seen as the promiscuous dorms <laughs> and so there was curfews and and the the dorm system that we have now the old dorm system where it was just a corridor with with houses and or rooms and rooms and rooms and rooms that was created so that women were easily monitored in those situations nice wow it sounds like the history of the dorm is very um very segregated and very uh like stereotypical and uh very like minority bashing <laughs> it was but it's amazing to me how it's kind of just completely switched in the last like 20 20 years we'll give them 20 years maybe 30 years it is 2020 i think the <laughs> only thing i think the biggest change that would be next is um the the gender segregation of dorms because right now like even at temple it's kind of by floor or by wing yeah yeah it is and it's it's is yeah i guess it is uh mod the modern dorms are kind of the next step in dorms is kind of getting rid of gender and all to get all and race all together which they've already done pretty well with the race but the gender thing but you know it's it's there's always problems and that's why this took so long to kind of change into what it is now where it's an accepting community it took 200 years to finally go oh yeah everyone's okay <laughs> we're all here so what so what do you think of the dorms now do, where where do you think we are now in this whole dorm evolution process well from what i've read today and done my research on we've come quite far away um i there's still more that can be improved like the living conditions for a while from like the 50s on we're just cram as many people into a dorm as we can 
And now we're kind of getting to the point where like, oh yeah, these people, you know, kind of need a little bit of space to do their own thing. And so I think the goodness of spreading it back out is kind of working its way back into architectural thinking of, of student housing. I think even now, I remember when I was in the dorms, I remember in, towards the end of it, in some of the bigger suites, um, I think there was some ways that you could have multi-gender dorms based on, but it was, yeah. it was based on like uh, sexuality and stuff like that as well. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's become this, like I said earlier, it's become this rite of passage. And for a while, it, it wasn't. It was this horrible living condition. And it's amazing how in the last 40 years after World War II, we kind of flipped the switch and we're like, no, we're going to live here. We're going to like, like it. I think, I think living in the dorm is an important part of the college process. I mean, there's stuff, I mean, look, I came to school and there was a lot of friends I knew who were going to that school. But if, if you don't know who's going there, the people you meet in the dorm are going to be your friends for a long time. I mean, I have some friends who, like, I met in the dorm I'm still friends with now. I know we have friends who've met in the dorm, and they're still best buds now. <laughs> well, well I, came to, I came to Temple with no one. I was the only person from my graduating class. I was the only person from my school in the first, like, for the last four years to go to Temple. So I knew no one. And living in the dorm I lived in, we're kind of moving away from this community. If we lived in the older dorms, there would have been more of a sense of that. But, um, like, uh, my roommate from freshman year is was my roommate for four, the next four years and like oh right you lived in morgan i did i uh, lived in the big dorm <laughs> i was also in morgan see for a second i thought you lived in peabody and just like as a reference peabody is was knocked down the year after our first year because it was so old peabody like was it was the first dorm on temple university like my dad went to temple 30 years ago and it was old when he was there <laughs> My dad went to Temple University, probably before your dad. And it was where the football players and the sports teams lived. It was considered the high-end dorm. So maybe it was good that it got knocked down. <laughs> yeah, because we're having a bunch of problems in the old dorms around America with mold, rats, all the fun things to live with. It's just like, there's, it's one of those things that unlike apartments and housing, the people who live there are students and I mean they're not going to put improvements they're not going to raise student rents they're normally only there for a year so it's really on the institutions to step up and clean up but they are also are not the ones experiencing the conditions yeah I think uh, a lot of so for a while a lot of the universities were just kind of trying to build as much as they could they were finally getting public money just give me as much money as I can get from these tiny little homes. But now it's, now it's people are visiting more and they're looking more into campus life more than just education. And this kind of turn, turn back into, we are, we want to grow as humans, not only as scholars, but as actual citizens in the United States. I think this kind of turn is making colleges kind of realize that they need to be more kind of nice to their students instead of just them being money bags. So where we're going with this actually kind of leads into what I wanted to talk about. So Rachel, you did a little bit of, well, a good chunk of preservation in college. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to quiz you. Don't worry. Okay. Thank gosh. <laughs> <laughs> but when it comes to some old buildings, I wanted to talk about, you know, when is, when does it come time 
to just knock something down and when is it actually worth trying to save and you look at you look at something like peabody and you kind of it's like oh well you can view it one way it's like oh you know it was one of the first dorms on campus it's it's historic it plays a big part um and our and from another angle it's it's nasty it's gotta go knock her down Yeah. Um, yeah, I did a lot of research on this for my capstone, actually, which is kind of really interesting. Uh, I think there's this point of you have to take what's useful from the building, whether that be the ideas it presents or the actual structure itself. Um, and there's this fine line and you can't really define it for a, like every single building in the world. You have to do it on a on a base by base basis. So for Peabody, for example, it was there wasn't anything special about it. No, there wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's got to go. Make room for the next one. It's kind of this really interesting topic. And, you know, looking at other things throughout Philadelphia, it's, it's I think Philadelphia is actually like a great city to kind of have that, like this study of preservation because New York's too big. You know, you can't, New York has so many boroughs that you can't just like start saving individual buildings yes but philadelphia is still like it has a size that you know that little like historic corner store you could actually like keep yes and it's gonna get to the point of philadelphia just keeps growing and growing and growing because it's such a great city to live in and it's well what's what's already preserved that needs to be torn down in 20 30 years so the question is though it's like when does when does preservation go too far? <laughs> <laughs> All the time. <laughs> um, it goes, that's a hard question to answer. And it, I, think I guess it's, it's case by case. It's case by case. And it's, it's how close are you tied to the building too? Like I love my 1910 row home built in 1910 row home but that thing is you've seen it it's falling apart <laughs> so i want to preserve it but everyone else is like take it down it's it's kind of thinking who's the preservation for are you preserving it for the historians are you preserving it for the everyday person walking by it's you know when it comes to these preservation meetings i'm sure there's obviously a rep from the public but they're not necessarily knocking door door to door are they um sometimes they are so like 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 new york is broken down into its tiny little boroughs philadelphia you know has these kind of neighborhoods like fishtown northern liberties kensington stuff like that um if there is a building significant to that community preservationists and neighborhood uh associations will go around saying hey they're trying to knock this building down sign this petition if you want to help save it and that kind of stuff goes around but like center city like those big buildings I'm not sure how that works because a lot of those things are kind of iffy. I feel like we've also lost a lot of good architecture because this is... go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> just like, because I think of the, well, the one we always think about just based on like how many times it was drilled in our head at school, it's Venturi saving the Fisher li- the Fisher library due to the fact that like at the time everyone was like no you know we're all going modern this thing is not modern you know burn it down build a new one and he was like no like it's beautiful like keep it but i think not every building 
that we've, we've lost a lot of buildings because not everybody can like go in and save them. So what were you, what were you going to say though? This is where um, like adaptive reuse really comes into architecture. If you really think like a building is worth saving, try to figure out how to adapt it to the modern world. Like even Venturi stuff, which is third, what is it, 40, 50 years old now, it's going to, it's not going to work the way it was supposed to back then. So it's more of not just seeing it as a knockdown versus build something new. It's more of a scene of can I modify this building to work as it, as it should now. I mean, a lot of times it's also all about public perception. So even if the outside stays the same, you can still completely gut the inside and make it something completely different. Yeah, like that Ritz Carlton Center City was was a bank, and it's it's a beautiful hotel now. Yeah, it's, it's still got its vaults. It's still got like every single piece of original architecture, and they just said we're going to change offices in the hotel rooms, and you know it's it's beautiful. It's part of Center City's like identity. And even if you think uh, like the Divine Lorraine, I actually got the opportunity to go to its, uh, it had a, what was it called? What's it called when you visit a house? Open house, duh. <laughs> um, I, me and some friends, we just happened to walk by while they were doing an open house. And we were like, what a great opportunity. And they completely like tried to change the room layouts to then fit a new a new apartment for the 21st century. Yeah. But it still yeah. keeps the charm of the outside, including a sign that will never have all its lights on at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only way to describe that building. Yeah. And it's, you know, if facades are important, that facade and that kind of history is very important to Philadelphia. That should be preserved in some sort of way. But these people trying to save like this random house that this random famous person lived in because they really care about this famous person, it doesn't. It the architecture had nothing to do with that. Right. It's. It comes to a point. It's like well. There's houses. There's stories to be told based on like design. If you're preserving it on that aspect, but if you're just preserving it because like, this dude lived there, it's like well people live everywhere, you know you can't just. <laughs> If someone becomes super famous and then passes, you can't just say, well, everywhere that man stepped or woman stepped foot, like, is sacred land. Mm -hmm. But, you know, yeah. some some people out there will be like, oh, my goodness, you can't knock this down. That's where he had his <laughs> that's where he had his like his first writing moment or like this is where he published his first book. You know, sometimes you just need a plaque. A big old plaque is all you need. <laughs> a nice little uh sidewalk cement like somebody writes it in with their finger kind of thing yeah in this house in 1942 <laughs> yeah it's preservation's a hard thing to kind of decide and figure out and that's kind of why i had an interest in it um first of all it was well what does what does what's good enough to be preserved um you know it's a fun part of architecture that you get to argue a lot in and and I mean, that's what it is. It's it's isn't it more about debating whether or not something's worth keeping or worth preserving? Yes and no. That's big scale preservation. Small scale preservation is like what plaster can I put on this wall so it doesn't fall down kind of stuff. Right. There's both. Like what you need. It's I guess it's also when you're preserving something, it's all right. Well, let's say let's talk about the paint on a wall it's like they're you know they had this iconic 
some some building had some iconic paint with it but you know when it was done it was actually a lead paint and it's like really bad but now you're going in and you're like trying to restore it and they're like well we want to bring it back to how it originally was and it's like well originally it had lead paint which is not a good not a good sign so i guess you also have to look at those aspects like all right how do we respect the original ideas but like also learn from the past yeah and is it is it the paint itself or was it the idea the paint was representing and if it's a beautiful mural and you're worried about lead paint is there the opportunity to repaint it with like paint now kind of a thing where you're preserving the ideas but not the actual piece wow people we did some dumb mistakes in building if you look back got lead paint (laughs) lead pipes um asbestos (laughs) yeah love that asbestos definitely um oh yes but hey i mean we learn from that and we gotta just keep moving with new designs but you know at least the dorms we make now aren't complete garbage wow <laughs> well, remember that time when morgan flooded <laughs> well it didn't flood my floor so I... <laughs> it flooded a couple floors below me i think yeah it had four inches of water in it yeah uh... well they're definitely not perfect <laughs> But hey, if you if you lived in a college dorm and you had a perfect time with no issues, then you didn't do college right. Exactly. I was watching the Snapchat stories today of like the college things. And it was like the stupidest things people were doing, like slipping slides in the hallway. And it's like, well, you know, I guess that's part of growing up. And that's how you flood four inches of the dorm. (laughs) (laughs) That is. But you know what? Thank thank you, Rachel, for being on this episode of Two Top. You know, you really brought some good insight on dorms. I didn't, you know, I lived in one for three years. I definitely did not know at least how privileged it was. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for having me. It's been fun. Yeah. But thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of Two Top, and we'll see you guys next time. The Two Top Podcast this week was created by Thomas Lance and edited by Thomas Lance. The music from this episode comes from Leah Rosever and his music for podcasting. If you'd like to support the show, please follow us on Patreon. You can find us at Two Top Podcast. Any donation helps, and we even have a couple cool perks going along with it. You can find us on social media on Instagram and Twitter, and we even have a website, twotoppodcast.com. For any general inquiries, you can send us an email over to twotoppodcast at gmail.com. And this was Two Top. We hope you enjoyed, and we'll see you guys next week for another Two Topics.